Jeremy, good morning to you. Hello, how are you? Good. Hey, I wanted to call up and talk briefly about how the Prime Minister said that we can't open, we can't remove our quarantine for New South Wales and the Northern Territories, which are going to do the same for us. Mm. And uh, I recently just uh, thumbed through my copy of a book called uh, Devil Take the Hindmost, which is a history of kind of all the financial manias and panics that have happened throughout history, speculative bubbles. And I feel that we're kind of reaching the peak of the COVID panic bubble at the moment because, you know, in New South Wales, they're measuring cases in the kind of two, three per million people. Mm. And then I just had a look at the over the weekend, um, worldometers have the deaths per million for the planet, say, at 132 per million. So we're talking about a survivability rate of 99.9868%. Yep. So a few cases per million people coming in from New South Wales. And then if they get through, we're talking about incredibly you know, high survival rates. There's just no risk-benefit analysis which stacks up. If we're not prepared to take that level of risk, we'll never be prepared to take any level of risk regarding this virus. It's, it's so negligible, it's, it, you can't almost calculate it. And we kind of need to step back and get some perspective on things because otherwise we have to make decisions like we're going to permanently reduce government spending 10 or 15%. And with all the loss of life that comes with that, it's just, it's been six months now, I'm kind of running out of words to describe how irrationally we're behaving as regards to this virus. It's the weirdest thing in the whole wide world to feel like you're the only one who doesn't get it. You know, yeah, well, it, it was why, and especially when you're doing talk radio. So I was having people phoning in who truly thought the moment they went to the supermarket, they'd drop dead of COVID. Yeah, and that's that's on the government and, and yep. no offence to you, but journalists well, who have not reported on this thing accurately. I mean, you, you and Mike and a few other people are about the only, and Damien Grant, Mike Hooden, you're the handful of people in New Zealand who, even now, six months later, when the data that's come out is overwhelming, are still not giving people what the the other side of the story, I guess. Look, I agree with you. And then when you read, you know, on the newspapers where one day it's like, this is why Sweden is such a su- success. And the very next day, 24 hours later, they come out with a, well, you know, Sweden proved to be a disaster. And it's, it's like, how on earth are you supposed to work that out if you're just sitting there consuming mainstream media? Well, yeah, I mean, Sweden kind of has set the parameters of the highest price we'd have to yep. pay if we just decided to say we're not going to do lockdowns anymore and we're going to pick a date to open the borders. Mm. And the worst case scenario is 3,000 people dead. And that's if we didn't do really anything to protect rest homes, right? So. Mm. That's mm. it sounds like a huge amount of people, but it's about one month's mortality. And, of course, we don't have to accept that. We can protect them. Because, but, you know, the thing that got me really discouraged as well is in the leaders' debate, last one, um, they asked both Judith Collins and Jacinda mm-hmm. Ardern what would happen if the virus uh, case of community transmission was in Christchurch on Christmas Eve. And they both said immediately into level three lockdown. I'm just oh. like, these people just do not seem to understand that by putting people into lockdown, you're doing hundreds of times more damage than the virus can ever do. And 
eventually, because a virus, a vaccine doesn't change the equation much. So eventually we're just going to have to make the decision. And, and the only thing that's going to do it is when the polls start to change. So that's why I keep calling up periodically. It's just, you know, um, because eventually we're going to have to make this decision. And the earlier we make it, the better off the country will be. I know. And when you look at the health outcomes as a result of no COVID deaths, it's not no deaths, it's no COVID deaths. That's the aim. And in the meantime, everybody else can just wait if you've got cancer and you need treatment and if you've got heart disease. and yeah, it's, I'm, I'm stunned. I'm still stunned. And yeah, I remember yeah. To, talking to a, a lovely woman who has a child with cerebral palsy who is the most at risk probably, although I suppose if you were in your early adulthood with cerebral palsy, that would be, you know, it's a respiratory, it's a killer respiratory virus and for somebody with compromised or weakened lungs, you know. But she said, this is every day. This is me every day that my child has been alive. Everybody living this kind of COVID panic is me living it every single day since my child was born. So I know how to put protocols in place. I know how to put precautions in place to protect them. And she said the great thing is that now everybody else knows how to do it. So I'm not doing everybody's job for them. But see, see, look at this. Here we get a text. One death is one too many. (laughs) Well, I mean, people are dying all the time. See, what they mean is one COVID death is one too many. They don't mean one death through heart disease or bowel cancer or breast cancer or stress or suicide. They just mean one COVID death. Yeah, and uh, um, that's the same kind of stuff you're getting out of the people who are in charge. You should know better. You're hearing the same things from um, um, Dr. Bloomfield, Mm. for example. Like Mm -hmm. I sent him an email um, because he said that 20% of people who died in the UK of um, COVID-19 were healthcare workers, which would have been 8,000 people. And I emailed him and I said, you've got that wrong. Only 620 people, healthcare workers, died. And they died at the same rate of the general population. They weren't at an increased risk. Mm. And um, I said, you know, um, if you divide that by our population, that would be about 45 healthcare workers who would die. And most of them would have just died if they took, you know, they self-isolated, you know, but not well. And he emailed me back and he said, well, as far as I'm concerned, 45 deaths is too many. And I just said, in my head, I was just like, you're in charge of public health. Like, you know, do you not understand that lockdowns are going, have already killed people, mm. um, especially when you look at the, the at around the world? Um, and I also kind of want to, you know, people are um, saying, um, you know, be responsible or we'll get put back into lockdowns. And I'm kind of like, yes, that, you know, there are people who aren't following the protocols. But I could also push back and just say, if lockdowns are completely illogical and disruptive, destructive, you know, there's, that's on the government as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we really need the government to come out and say, next time this gets into New Zealand, we won't go above level two. And, and, what, and then what comes, what may, is, is how we're going to get slowly integrate ourselves back into the rest of the world. Because at the moment, it's like 
the prison guard is saying, you can't go out into the exercise yard, the rest of the world, because someone in the exercise yard's got the flu. And if you if we let you go out in the exercise yard, we've got to take away the rights you have in your cells. You know, I, I don't want to live in a country like that, to be honest with you. And there will be a time in the next six months to a year when the rest of the world's gone back to normal. And there's a lot of people like me who have been absolutely up in arms since March who, you know, we, eventually we're going to start looking at other options. You know, I don't want to, but... But see, the thing is that, and I've got somebody saying, on the one hand, you're saying people who don't believe in lockdowns or quarantine is an a-hole and should go to jail. But then you say that the world's gone mad and lockdowns are completely illogical. You wholeheartedly agree with this man. The thing is that because of the powers that we have in place, as soon as anybody breaks the rules, they put us into lockdown. And I don't have any choice or say in that, really, unless I, and it would be incredibly irresponsible to go against a public health directive as, as a member of the media. I have my opinion, but would I support people breaking the law? No, I don't. I just wish that they'd get a grip and, and a dose of reality, the people who are making the decisions. My faith in the, their decision-making has been absolutely shaken because they told us, and we received emails from, from head office saying this is what is happening, and that just simply wasn't true. Yeah, and that's the thing that gets me really worried about the future is because, you know, they've done surveys that in the UK and in US, Italy, other countries, which are showing that people are overestimating their chance of dying or serious illness from this disease about 100 times. So um, in the UK, it was about 6.7%, yes. yep. but the actual chance of dying in the UK is 0.06%. So I worry that when people start to get a grasp of the difference in what they were told or what they perceived was their chance of death and the actual chance of death, when they're dealing with the economic devastation, the depression we're going to be in for the next few years, mm -hmm. it's going to seriously undermine people's confidence in parliament, in science, in medicine, and to a lesser extent in journalism. Um, and you need those things in order to have a civilised democracy um and it, it, yeah it's we're in for a rough very rough few years and it, very little of it has to do with the virus yep here here thank you jeremy